The passage this morning that I want to look together with you is a passage called dealing with this, what we've been doing already, living the gospel in an unwelcome world. We've been looking about this the last couple of weeks, and we've been first Peter, and we've been going through this. And this passage we're calling the first Peter, it says, living the gospel in an unwelcome world. And it's interesting here because of what it goes through when it talks about what God is doing. This is the, it's a passage that I noticed, I sent it to Mel, Melanie, stones, stones, and more stones. Now that sounds like a kind of strange thing, but it's not that strange, I think, when we get to the passage. And the passage is very interesting, but we've got a couple things to do before we get to the main part of it. So stick with me as we go here. Because what I want to do for a moment, remember last week? Last week we were in 1 Peter, and we had this section in here where he had the different things. David Reyes was preaching. He did a great job showing us the different things and the four things that he went through. But when I was going through that passage, the one that David had worked through and I had studied through, I looked at this passage and there was something that kind of struck me at it and I kind of thought about it. And I just want to do something that's real short but I want you to think about it because when it kind of cut to me and it kind of struck my thoughts and what I was looking at, it, was, it had an impact on me. For example, let's do this. It's not kind of, kind of like a little game. You have to just think about it real short. And here's what we're going to do. I want you to pretend that you've got a genie. A genie who will give you anything you want. Okay? Here's the genie. The genie, here it is, it says, imagine you could have whatever you want, and here is the thing, but you only have five seconds to make your choice. Okay? You've got five seconds to make your choice. So here it comes. You ready? Start thinking. What is the thing that comes into your mind? If I could have anything I want, what would it be? And here we go. One, two, three, four, five, stop. You don't tell anybody. You don't have to tell anybody else. But what jumped into your mind? It was interesting because when I was doing this and I was putting this together, I looked at that and I thought, what did I think about when I thought about this? What if I really had a genie and the genie said, you can get whatever you want, Carl? The first thing I came up with, I could get all these kids through college. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it's maybe not the most important thing to be thinking about at this point when we're talking about God's word. And so when I went through myself, one, two, three, four, five, stop, it's like, yeah. SMU, TCU, paying it all off. And then I thought, wait a minute. And it made me think of a passage that David Reyes had preached just a week before that made me think about it a little bit. Let me tell you what it means. Here is this. This phrase that kept jumping in my head says, I want to be holy. And my question was, do I really want to be holy? A lot of us want to be kind of holy. Like, kind of holy work doesn't get in our way in what we want to do with our life. And I saw that phrase kind of just bounce around. I want to be holy. Yeah, I'd like to be holy. But notice what happens here in 1 Peter. 
and we're still, this is like in 1 Peter, we're going to be jumping over into our next passage real quick. But notice, if you would, in this passage, Peter is going through talking about, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought by the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful passage. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one, talking about Christ, as the one who calls you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your contact, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. I think it has something to do with holiness. And it made me think about that. When was the last time I really thought about, like, Lord, I am longing to be holy? I hate to say it, I can't remember when I said that or thought of that. But the reality is, if you look at the passage, it comes right out of Leviticus chapter 11, and there's many other ones where it kept saying, I am holy, you will be holy. I have brought you into relationship with me, and because I am holy, you will be holy too. Now, he's not saying you're going to be always perfect. You're not. We're all going to make mistakes. But really, we come back to this question like, Lord, do I even want to be holy? Maybe just holy enough where I don't get in trouble? Or do I really long to think that God wants me to be holy before him. You go through the Old Testament, passage, passage after passage, talking about holiness, holiness to the Lord. By the way, today is Rosh Hashanah, where Rosh means head, Shana day, it's the year that talks about that, Rosh Hashanah. And we have a bunch of other ones that are coming on here in the next few weeks here at It's Kind, going to be going on. But notice what it talks about. Be holy, because I'm holy. And yet I had to be honest to myself and think, yeah, but I don't really think about it that often. And yet this is a very, very important part of God's word. And this is important, too, as we go right into this section in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. This little passage is relatively short, but it's very, very important. Look at it, if you would, it, as you look at it. This is Peter telling this thing going on, and he says this. So, in, play, in fact, what God has done in holiness so rid yourself of all wickedness, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Let's stop for a second. If you notice there, when he's, Peter's talking, these are five things he talks about. Deceit, which is dangerous. Excuse me, wickedness, which kind of gives you a broad picture. There's deceit, which can happen, has a huge impact on people. He goes on to talk about hypocrisy, which can you know, destroy you know, relationships and churches, by the way. Envy, and by the way, where have we heard about these words a lot in the last couple months? Anybody remember? Yes, hopefully, our series in the Ten Commandments. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. It seems like, it seems like Peter's been looking at it, and he's understood it. And, of course, he knew very well the Old Testament. And so he writes these words to us. Rid yourself of all wickedness, using this in the broad sense. All deceit hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And then I love this little phrase, like newborn infants desire the unadulterated spiritual milk so you may grow by it in your salvation. It's a very interesting metaphor that he's using to describe what God is doing here. Because mo many of us have had children before, or family, friends that we've been around. The one thing you know about a baby when it's really hungry, they let you know. They let you know really quickly. When they start crying and they start going, it can be loud and it can go long. And so what they're saying here is, okay, 
Just like a newborn infant is just passionate, wanting to get what it needs, that baby needs to have that milk, that milk that only the mother can give her. It's saying like newborn infants desire the unadulterated spiritual milk. And so he's going on saying, here's, you've got this. He said, we're not talking about any kind of milk. We're not talking about the milk you can buy at the store. But he says, I'm talking about spiritual milk. By the way, in the next few, in the next few verses that we're working with, this word spiritual is going to come up a number of times. We'll see it. And notice what he says. Desire the unadulterated spiritual milk. You may remember this. I think it was about eight years ago. There was an issue going on in China. And what was happening in China is these children were getting really very, very sick. And they couldn't understand why is it that these children, the same age, are getting sick when we're not getting this in other places, and other places in China. Why is this happening? And what they found out that the person who was making it was actually putting other stuff in it so they could make more money. And the children were dying because this person was willing just, I mean, just only wanted to make money for himself. And by the way, they took the two guys out who had done that, and they, and they killed him. They took that very seriously when you have children dying and there's no reason to understand. And so what he's saying here is very important. He said, you want to desire the unadulterated spiritual milk. It's not a milk that you can see or hold or you drink, but it's unadulterated. The unadulterated spiritual milk. Why? So you may grow in your salvation. Just like that baby needs the mom to give that nourishment to grow. He's, again, using a spiritual metaphor to say that's the way we have to grow as well. Now, I'm, I'm re, you know, like I've always been about like reading the Bible and going through it. I'm right now in the book of Nahum. I have to be honest with you, that is not my most favorite book in the Bible. I, I know it had an important thing. I know that all scripture is given by God and we honor that. But I'd sure rather have, you know, like the Gospel of John than Nahum. But God had a purpose. He had a purpose for us. And we just don't pick like this little piece of the scripture and that piece of the scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration. And of course, it goes on in that passage. And notice what he said. Desire the unadulterated spiritual milk so you can grow in your salvation. Now, I understand there's people who have read the Bible once, twice, three, four times. Like, you know, I've read it so much, I'm getting bored in it. It happens. But that's when you have to come back to the Lord and say, Lord, would you show me even more of yourself? What is it in this that you want me to understand? What is it that I'm missing that I need to come to you in prayer and say, Lord, what is it you would want me to do? I don't want to read Nahum. It's only three chapters, but I really don't want to do it. But there must be something there that God gave me. He's asking me to, would you look at it a little closer? And so that idea here of like newborn infants, you need it, you desire it, you want to grow, you want to grow in your walk with God so you can grow in your salvation. We're in the process of God continuing to grow us to be the men and the women and the boys and girls that he wants us to be. He said that you could grow. And then he has this interesting phrase that he uses a lot. Since you've tasted that the Lord is good. comes right out of the uh, Old Testament. And by the way, in this passage, we're working as a passage after passage and little group after little group that are all about Old Testament. 
which reminds us again, there are people who say, I don't need the Old Testament anymore because we got the New Testament. That's crazy. The Old Testament is the foundation upon which everything else has been built. And we thank God for the new covenant and what we have, and we're thankful for it. But we don't turn away from the Old Testament. We thank God for it. And we look for what God is now doing with us in the new covenant. And so he knows what he says here. Since you've tasted the Lord's goodness, and you know how good the Lord can be. You know what God has done in your life and what he continued to do. So notice this passage. This passage is very interesting. I want you to stop for a second thinking. Who are the people that Peter is addressing? It's mostly people that are not particularly wealthy. He's talking about people, some who've all gone, already gone through very, very difficult times. He's talking with people that have been come from all different cultures and religions and strange things to believe. And in this passage, what he's doing here in verse 4, he's going to use a series of metaphors dealing with stones. Yesterday, David and I were working with the Boy Scouts, and part of what we had to do was lugging these big stones around back and forth. Fortunately, he did more than I did, which was helpful. But we were exhausted. David and I were so tired by the time we had moved all these big stones and concrete and moved it around. thought, that's a thing you use that in, the, in your message. You know? But it reminded me, he's saying here, coming to him a living stone. Well, the one thing we know about stones, they're not alive. I mean, every stone that David and I picked up and moved around was dead. It doesn't move on its own. You'd have to move it or kick it or do something to get it, but it's not going to happen on its own. But what Peter wants to do here is very, very significant. He says, listen, you're coming to him. In the context, it's clearly talking about Jesus. You're coming to him, a living stone. And of course, what's happening, he's coming back to this whole idea of the fact Jesus died. He really died. He was buried. But thank God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's like, if God can get Jesus, who's dead in the ground, and bring him back up, he can do that with rocks and stones and anything he wants to do. And so he uses this phrase very often to use it, you're coming to him, a living stone. In other words, he's saying God's making this alive. And again, can you see it? No. Can you hold it? No. Have you ever seen it? No. Again, he's talking spiritually. He's not talking about literally holding this in your hands. But he's saying, coming to him, to Christ, who's the living stone. And he's going to keep going on this. It's rejected by men, like Jesus was. Some in the Sanhedrin and some who were there opposed to him. They said, kill him. Let him die. Let him die. And what happens? He said, you know, that living stone, you thought it was just a rock. It's not just a rock. It was rejected by those people. But he said that they're chosen and valuable to God. In other words, what the world did not want to know about, what they were willing to have to put to Christ to the cross, he's saying, you don't know what you missed here. This was Christ himself. He said, rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God. Notice verse 5. You yourself, as living stones, are being built into a spiritual, he uses the word pneumaticos, pneuma, we talk about wind, air, built into a spiritual house. Again, he's talking in metaphor. He's not literally talking about building a house. You don't have to hammer anything for this or do anything with it. He's talking spiritually about what's going on. 
And so he says, you yourself as living stones are being built into a spiritual house, not a physical house, a spiritual home where Christ is at work, where God is at work in the life of his people. And he said, you're being into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Now, again, many of these people did not any, know anything nearly about the Old Testament and stuff. But many that did, they read these passages and they go, huh, only the priest, we're talking about in the Old Testament, only the priest could go and be, you know, to make the sacrifices. You couldn't have another person do it. Only once a year could the priest go in, the high priest go in. But he's saying, that's not true anymore. For now, in the new covenant, as God's new covenant people, he said, you know what? You're a holy priesthood. Now think about this. Many of these people were slaves. Many of these people were poor. They've come to faith in Christ. And they're saying to him, do you know what you really are? Uh, no, what am I? He said, I'll tell you what you are. You are building a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices, not literal sacrifices, the killing of an animal. Spiritual sacrifice accepted to God through Jesus Christ. And so he's using again this metaphor of saying God is taking that which we thought was dead and couldn't move is alive and well of what God is doing through his people. And you can imagine some of these people, a lot of them were poor. A lot of them had been gone through also gone through very difficult times. And he's saying, you know what? The world thinks you're a bunch of idiots. They don't think much of you. But God does. He thinks a lot about it. He said, you. And they're going, me? Yes. You're a holy part of the holy priesthood. Me? Really? Yes. You're, you're capable now to offer spiritual sacrifices. What would that be? Things like worship. Things like prayer, a spiritual thing that you're offering to God. Lord, I thank you so much. We had Lee share her heart to something that was so significant for her. And that's something, those are the things that we can offer to God. Say, Lord, I come to you with a broken heart and what I've been through. And so he's saying, look at this. You are, you are it's just me, I'm just Joe. Joe, if you're a believer... You are part of a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. And then he picks right up with this, again, going back to the scriptures. This passage right here is very important. The early church used this passage often. And, of course, Peter knows it very well, and he's using it too. Stick with me. It gets a little bit, a little bit strange right here. Okay? Right here, it's talking about from the Old Testament, saying, look, I lay a stone in Zion. Zion, again, is for Israel, where, you know, eight, you know, where all this took place. And he's saying, look, I lay a stone in Zion. And that was a very important stone. A chosen and honored cornerstone. I'm from Pennsylvania, the cornerstone state, you know, that whole thing. That one that's on the top there is often very, very important. And so he's making the point. Look, I'm laying a stone in Zion, Okay a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Remember, Jesus dies, and they all laughed at him, think that he was dead, but he's alive and well. And so he said, so honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, from those who don't believe what God is doing, then he comes back to this passage, the stone that the builders rejected. This one has become the cornerstone. He's saying... They, jumped, they laughed at him. They thought it was all a big joke. It's no joke. Jesus is alive and well. 
And he said, the one who became the cornerstone, a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. He's saying, basically, you're going to have to stand in one of two things. You want to stand on the rock or you want to be tripping over the rock. Take your pick. Take your pick. Do you want to look at what Christ, is, what Christ has done and say, okay, Lord, I believe you are that rock. And he said, they stumble because they disobey the message. They were destined for that. So notice what he says. And this is such a beautiful thing, verses 9, where he comes through this. And look at the way he's doing this. Again, put yourself in the mind of people. Many of these people, like we said, are poor. Many of these people have suffered struggles. And he's talking to these people. And a lot of these people, you know, they're again, they're young Christians. They don't get all of it. They're doing the best they can. And look what Peter does. He says, but you, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Where do you hear that? Old Testament. Clearly, when God made the covenant with Israel, when he told them, you among all the nations and country, I've chosen you. You are my people. And he talks about Israel and how Israel and how God and the, and the Ten Commandments and the 300 Commandments and goes on talking about the fact that what this happened. That's Old Testament. Now in the New Covenant, he's saying this. Wait a minute. I know you people have suffered. I know some of you are struggling to understand. Living in a world where people do not respect them. But he comes back in this beautiful phrase and says this. But you, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his possession. What? So that you may proclaim the praises, the praises of the one. I'm talking about Christ, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what God did for you. He took you out of the darkness of sin, and he put you on the rock, the right rock, the rock that you stand upon, the faith in Christ. And he's saying, there it is. He said, once you were not a people, again, using Old Testament language in a New Testament culture, saying, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. In spite of who you are, where you went, what your problems was, what your situations was, he said, but now you're God's people. You who have not received mercy, but now, comes back to Exodus, you have received mercy. And notice what he does here. He takes a sudden kind of twist. I'm not exactly sure why he did this. I think he was making a connection here. But notice what he says. So in light of this, of what he just said, about how you belong and there's a space for you and you're a part of the new covenant, he says this, dear friends, I urge you as strangers, and notice this phrase, temporary residents. He's telling them again, folks, this ain't home. You're not at home yet until Jesus comes in power and glory, and we're going to be with him forever, and there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more pain, no more hurt, no more death. And so he tells them, listen to what I want you to understand. He said, you urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that were against you, the things that we have that we deal with. Conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish believers and the believers and non-Jewish believers, so that in case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will, by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. When I thought about visitation, I thought you had to go around and tell people about Jesus in our neighborhood. That's what my parents did, which is fine. I honor them for that. But notice what he's saying. 
Conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles, so that in a case where they speak against you that who do evil, they will, by observing your good words, glorify. In other words, they've got something against you, say, really, there's nothing we can charge against them. There are people that are faithful. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so Peter is making the point. Don't give them anything that you do evil that could make people turn away from the faith of the gospel. Be a discouragement to young Christians who are saying, why is that person such like this? And da 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 da. Don't do that. Let the people see you, even if they're going to take you and kill you. You're going to do what you can to be faithful to what God called you to do. He said, observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. That is, the day when come, God says, I'm here. Guess what? Everything's changed. And you'll stand before the Lord. And you're going to long say, Lord, I sure hope I get that well done, good and faithful servant, to want to serve you. So notice what he says. He takes a little change here. He says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord. You know, you read this and you think, wait a minute, isn't he talking from about the Romans? And haven't they been cruel to him? Yes. And haven't they been killing some of our people? Yes. And have they been torturing some of our people? Yes. I said, why don't we go out and we'll go kill them? Why don't we go kill them? Isn't that a good idea? Paul Peter says, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Peter says, no, we're not going to do that. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord. And by the way, when we were in the book of Romans, I think it's chapter 16, I'm not positive, but it's one of those chapters right there. The apostle Paul said almost the exact same thing. There is, God has a purpose for those that are in ruling, and you're going to respect them. Now, you can imagine some of these people who've been through torture, who've been through things, who've lost their homes. And he says, you know what? You're going to obey them, and you're going to honor them. Look at what he said. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether the emperor as the, emperor as the supreme authority, or as governors who sent out to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For, and now notice this again, you keep thinking, really? Is this Peter really saying this? He really is. For it's God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Make sure that you're the person who's doing what's right. And sometimes they're going to get it wrong, and we could suffer from it. But he said, you do what's right. That they have nothing to explain about it. He says, as God's slave. Now, I think this is an interesting phrase, because some of these people, they are slaves. Or they were slaves. Or they worked for slaves. And his point is saying, wait a minute, you know, there's another slavery that's much more important. It's being God's slave. That's the best slavery you could ever have in the world because you know how God cares for you. He said, so as God's slaves, live as free people, but don't use your freedom to conceal evil. He says, honor everyone, love the brother, fear God, honor the emperor. A lot of us say, let's go kill him. Peter says, no, you won't. The only thing that's worse of not having any kind of policeman is, you know, if you have someone, there aren't any of them. Would you want to live in a country where there weren't police? Suppose they said, you know, we've got a new thing here. Today we're going to tell all the people there'll be no cops on the roads, and we don't know for how long. Have fun. Would you want to drive on I-75? Anybody can say, you go drive anywhere you want to. It's up to you. Whew. Thankfully, we don't have that. But note, note what's happening here. Peter is making it very clear. He's saying, you know what? 
God is working remarkable ways in the life of these believers. Some of them have come out of strange cults and different things, but they're learning, they're understanding. God is working in their life. And he says, and so you know what? We are going to honor the, the king. And we are going to do what we think is right. And even if they would torture us, even if they'd put us in jail, we're not going to do what's wrong. We want people to see the difference that Jesus makes in the lives of people who know him. Lord, this passage you gave us, Lord, to, to, to study today is a challenging one. But Lord, we pray for each of us that we would want that milk, that unadulterated milk, that milk in which we grow and we understand and we grow in our knowledge of the scriptures. Lord, we would ask that we would be those kind of men and women we're people of the book. A phrase, Lord, that so many people used to use, that we're people of the book, the scriptures that God has given us. And Father, even if I tomorrow got to continue on Nahum, it's still your word. And pray that we'd all be growing in our knowledge of you and our love of you and the impact you're going to have in our lives. Be with us. Help us as we continue in our worship, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.